0: You are listening to the Real Faith Stories podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Stephanie, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Great to have you on the program today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I'm going to read something you shared with me as a launching point for our conversation, and it's this. God promised us that the presence of His Holy Spirit is more than enough all the time for everything, and there's no way in the entire universe anyone is capable of surviving most things life will continue to throw at all of us without the Holy Spirit. Clearly, as we've talked before this conversation, you have experienced that. So I'd love for you to share a little bit of your backstory and then dive into a unbelievable event that occurred in your 20s. Yeah,
1: thanks, Brian. Absolutely. So I love hearing you read that statement again, because we do live in a culture that communicates so much self-help and self-help opportunities. And it's truly impossible without complete surrender to the Holy Spirit and His help in and through us, whatever we do. And so knowing that truth and experiencing that truth, but getting to walk it out is usually a test. And it takes a lot of tests sometimes to have that truth solidified. But yes, part of my story is being tested and being tested with the truth that I did know, but I had not yet experienced. And so I did know that my Heavenly Father never leaves me and never forsakes me. And I do know that I um, can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I should fear no evil and his rod and his staff will comfort me. But watching my husband die when I was 29 weeks pregnant with our first son in my early 20s completely rocked my world with a new realization of dependency.
0: Tell me exactly what happened with respect to the passing of your husband please
1: yes so when i say i did lose my husband in my early 20s through a very unfortunate accident that was we were on vacation at Table Rock Lake. We took a lot of trips and we had a lot of fun. It was a Cinderella story for several years with just marital bliss and not a lot of hurdles. And I had married the love of my life shortly after playing basketball in college and started our family together. I would have participated in this activity, but I was 29 weeks pregnant and quite large. So I stayed on the boat and everybody was walking up a trail and just jumping off a cliff. The excursion on a water vacation site is it's called bluff jumping and bluff jumping is a normal activity that many people participate in. And so this was a very freak accident, but my husband, Tekin, he just walked up with everybody else. I had cousins and aunts and uncles present And he just jumped. But unfortunately, feet first, the life jacket snapped his neck on entry. The people close to him in proximity pulling him out of the water, me getting to the boat that he was pulled in and then watching his body die, getting to the dock with medical help that was there so fast with walkie talkies and radios and then paramedics at the scene. All of this occurred within a 10 or 15 minute window. But Unfortunately, they never took him into an ambulance to proceed to a hospital because the head paramedic and the team that was there medically and the people that had administered medical treatment on the boat, they pronounced him dead there on the dock. And then I received the news even through that time of watching him physically die. So, yes, there was the loss of my husband, but there was also trauma visually and mentally involved in the the events that occurred surrounding his death in that time frame.
0: It's overwhelming to hear you share this. What was the thought that went through your mind immediately after you knew he passed?
1: Well, I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts. I actually passed out. And so physically, I think my body went into shock. And I have mentioned I was 29 weeks pregnant, so I'm sure people that were participating in all of that, the scene that was going on were very concerned for my health as well. But I just, I went into shock physically. And so as I was receiving the news from the sweetest, kindest gentleman that was there as the head paramedic on the scene, the next thing I remember is waking up in an ambulance. And then I do remember piece by piece, some series of events of asking to be with Tekin, asking to be in the ambulance. His body was still in, and his body was still there on site. And so they gave us some time together, and they let me go into the ambulance with him. And it was just him and I. And it was a very clear understanding at that point of what happens to our body, soul, and spirit whenever we do physically die. Our soul and our spirit are completely removed immediately. And his physical body was there, and my favorite body in the whole wide world Up until that point that I was so in love with, but he wasn't there. And I knew he wasn't there, but it was really, really hard for me at that time to leave the ambulance because I knew that they were going to take his body and then proceed with events that, you know, that followed. Mm -hmm. But I just got to stay in there with him for a little while. Um, And then after that, it was it was a whirlwind.
0: I can only imagine what was it as you lived through that whirlwind that you sensed the Lord was speaking to your heart during that time?
1: I think what I'm so grateful for is that God meets us right where we are. Because there is so many different phases of trauma and shock and grief and denial and anger and all of these different things. And there's no respecter of persons with whenever something specific might hit or how long it may last. And so there's no amount of comparison that someone should put on another person going through any kind of loss or trauma or tragedy in any way because we are uniquely and wonderfully made. And God's purpose and detail in loving us right where we are is my greatest, greatest heartbeat in that time of of understanding. So what I look back and I see is that no matter if I was facing anger or I was still in shock or I was in denial, the Lord was so faithful. I can't even describe to you the physical peace of His presence that I felt like pillars sustaining me as I prayed. And I didn't know what to pray because I didn't have the strength sometimes to pray, but I just felt these fortified pillars like supernaturally sustaining me and propping me up, putting my feet on the ground in the morning when I wake up. There was not a physical desire I had to start new days, but I knew I had to keep going. I had 29 weeks of life inside of me. We had already named our son Ethan together And I knew I had purpose in spite of the pain. And so to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit so strong, I felt it whenever I saw his body in the casket and I had to go and I didn't like the way they fixed his hair. So I had to refix his hair and preparing his body. And being with him in the funeral home, watching his casket go in the grave and then walking out those series of events, I can piece by piece by piece, like isolate those pockets of time and just know how thick and how sustaining the presence of the Holy Spirit was in my life. And there was no other way to describe it other than supernatural.
0: You know, as you're sharing this, I'm thinking of how often we try to put ourselves into a situation that somebody's experiencing, and we're saying, I would respond this way, or I would probably do this. What I'm really struck by is there was no effort you could put forth To do anything for yourself other than rely on the Lord, as you said, as as pillars for your life at that point. There was literally nothing. Yet, he and his love and kindness showed up in the midst in a way that you probably never could have imagined before that, could you?
1: Absolutely not. There's no human explanation for what God in his tenderness and his love and his faithfulness comes in. In every measure of supply and promises to each one of us. And then he, he's faithful on that promise. You know, there's not amount of effort or self-help or, you know, life coaching that can get anybody through those situations. They would be probably opportunities for temporary relief. But when it comes to heart healing, there's no other heart healing apart from the Holy Spirit.
0: And to that point, Stephanie, as the distance started to increase from that time of your husband's passing, what started to shift in your own life as, of course, the baby's born? That's a huge event. How did you walk through that and then beyond that?
1: I feel like waves I could just picture, you know, when you sit on the ocean and you watch waves and the tide come in, that's how I kind of felt like my grief process was because as the waves just kept coming in, it would be a new obstacle or a new circumstance, a new opportunity to navigate, a new birthday, a new holiday, a new relationship, new territory, a new season. And so, A lot of things are waves and obstacles and hurdles. And so navigating that, I did not handle a lot of those waves the way I wish I would have. There would have been opportunity for me to learn and grow from letting people help me and letting people navigate things better with me and not trying to have this, I got this figured out, I can do it all on my own mentality. And Figuring out being a mom by myself and figuring out when to allow people in, I learned a a lot of things the hard way. And in that process, as I put some of those pieces together for me, again, the foundational piece of that puzzle for me is that God was still present. And so in my curiosity and in my mistakes or in the choices that I made, His faithfulness was there just being very, very gentle with me. And the gentleness of his love and his presence isn't something that I always could articulate, but it was foundational for me and it was there every step of the way.
0: What do you suppose causes us to want to say internally, I've got this figured out?
1: I think it's so much of our, our culture. I think it's communicated to us from the time we're younger and we have an I and a you mentality and a I've done this or or I've accomplished this or I've made this goal or I've won this medal or I've achieved this accomplishment in maybe sports or academics or in business. And the truth is John 15 5. If you really believe the Bible, which I do, then I can't pick and choose what I want to apply and when I want to apply it. So what makes I feel like our culture and the I can do this all by myself mentality and I don't need anybody's help is what we're communicated with, I feel like, a lot from different messages. And John 15, 5 simply says, apart from him, we are nothing. And I am divine and he is the branches. And apart from him, I believe with all my heart. Apart from Him, I am nothing. On my best day, apart from Him, I am nothing. On my worst day, apart from Him, I'm still nothing. And so not to stand in the mirror and feel like I have accomplished anything. My prayer in my heart is to communicate that not only to my family now, as, as God has grown my family, but to continue to be a resounding message in all aspects of life that John 15, 5 really means what it says
0: when you think about it that's the antithesis of the american culture of the western culture mm-hmm. is it's the opposite of everything and yes that's what i love about the scripture is it mm-hmm. just it strips us of any self-sufficiency if you really believe the scripture like you said mm-hmm. self-sufficiency is not at all what god wants in our life yet he does want us to do things, to work, to trust him as we work. Mm -hmm. How do you approach the mindset when you share with people your story of self-sufficiency? Do you simply talk to them about the scripture, I would suspect? Or is there something else you share?
1: In parallel with self-sufficiency versus complete surrender and dependency on him, It's 100% scripture. I can't communicate, live, or operate apart from scripture because whether it's sports or whether it's parenting, whether it's coaching, whether it's relationships, my foundational belief system is the Word of God is the lamp unto my feet and the light into my path, and He's promised to be my daily bread that I should choose to partake of as my sustenance in all aspects. I don't feel like I have to take it overboard. This is not legalism or religiousness in any way. It's really just scaling back at the beautiful simplicity of promises. And I do not like to overcomplicate scripture. I believe that I'm the little child on Jesus' lap whenever the disciples were concerned about the crowds. And he said, let them come under me. And having faith as a little child, I want to continue always being like that. And I want to look at the simplicity And the beauty of just trusting Him and so stewarding and being responsible with what God has given us to do, that's an individual responsibility as well. So that is not for anybody, Christian or not, to put comparison on someone else, their journey, their process, their healing, and their personal talents, gifts, and abilities, and all woven into their own story, because we all have stories based on our life experience. And so it's just a beautiful part of piecing all of that together. You
0: know, I'm thinking of that scripture when the disciples asked Jesus, "What are you going to do with John? What's going to happen to him?" And Jesus basically said, "What is that to you?"
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and really, that's what you're saying is other people's trajectory and life walk and experience with the Lord. What is that to you? Right. You're the one that's going to stand in front of Him by yourself when it's all said and done. So be faithful with what. What he's put in your hands right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then i think about the scripture seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things and when he says all this is one of my favorite statements you know what the original language means when you say all it means all right all these other things that you need whatever it is fill in the blank will be added to you and our tendency i'm sure you would agree stephanie is to not seek first the kingdom of God. That is not even close to our knee-jerk reaction, is it? Correct. Correct. How does one move into a space in their life where it becomes a normal response to seek first the kingdom of God? Is that just a discipline that you learn over time? What are your thoughts?
1: I love that you said the word all because that really resonates with me, and I definitely think it's a discipline, but I think it's also the Lord is very clear that as we build our faith, He's faithful in stewarding all of those pieces for us. And so you said all, and there are so many scriptures that mean so much to me in the Bible when it comes to all, because you said seek first His kingdom, you know, and all these things will be added to you as well. But One of the things I love is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then rejoice in the Lord always. You know, I will say it again, rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances. So, What really resonates with me about the pursuit of these things is the Word of God is living and active, and it's alive. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so the same scripture that you and I can pull through and dive into and apply to our lives is the same for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how specific the Holy Spirit is. And so it doesn't give you any room for compromise. The word all means all. And so my turning point in Making this a lifestyle, Brian, was that word all because I didn't want that word all to apply to me. I wanted to choose on days that I felt like thanking God in all circumstances and giving thanks in all things, or God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His name. I wanted to pick and choose when all all applied to me. And it was me figuring out that that word all was not an option that the Lord was faithful in growing that faith and that desire to make that a discipline in my life and to take every thought captive and submit it according to the word of God. And so walking that out in trial and in error, knowing that all means all, was part of the biggest test for me.
0: As you're sharing this, I'm thinking, For example, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that would be a great place to pick and choose what circumstance God is actually working for our good, right? Yes. So that's the moment I sense when the Lord says, without faith in Hebrews, it's impossible to please him. So what we have to do is faith it. Okay, I choose in this situation that doesn't look at all let like God is working it for my good in the moment to have yeah. faith and confess I'm grateful in the midst of this pain that you're doing something in my life. Amen. How many years has it been since this situation occurred?
1: Well, my son just turned 19 this last fall. Wow. And so he marks the time of this process and of this journey for me. When I look at his and I celebrate his birthday, it's just the evidence of of that journey.
0: What has happened since then? What are some highlights that God has brought into your life and shifted since that time?
1: A couple of years after I gave birth to Ethan and I was a single mom and I thought, I don't know if I can do this again, Lord, you know, this is love and all that stuff. So the Lord rocked my world. I was able to get remarried and walk that journey out of remarriage, blending a family. I was privileged to be stepmom and mom. I married a man with a three-year-old beautiful little girl. And so that is just part of this process of saying, God, I may not know what's ahead, and I may not know what's in that door or in that room, but you put my hand on this handle and I'll open it and walk through. Yeah. But there's been lots of fun tests. So getting married And blending a family and then having three more of my own children with my husband and my husband, Ricky, adopting Ethan, all becoming the same last name. And then walking out the last 19 years raising Ethan and knowing who his biological father is and knowing that on this side of heaven here on earth, he'll never meet him, but that his story is still alive and that family relationships and what God put together no man is capable of separating and dividing. And so walking out family relationships and dynamics and all the beautiful blends of what that has brought has been quite an interesting journey.
0: I'm sure it has. So when people come to you and ask for advice, what is one of the biggest questions or two that you tend to get?
1: When people come to me and ask me advice, I think it depends on what stage they're at in their own journey. And I have, the privilege of getting to partner with widows of all stages, if it's fresh trauma and grief, or if they're several years into their journey. And so there is a lot of pieces of advice that I share transparently that I learned the right way and the wrong way, depending on where they're at in that process. The the thing that I would get the most is just how to walk out family relationships and dynamics and letting people in that are all grieving. Because when you lose someone that you love, everybody has a different relationship with that person. And so their process of healing is going to look different. And so you have moms and grandparents or aunts and uncles or, or children. And so if you lose someone that you love, walking out how to honor and how to respect one another in their own healing process is what I get the most of helping people to navigate.
0: Just as much as our personalities are different and our fingerprints are clearly someone's going to walk out their grief differently than you or I would.
1: Right. I like to use this example that if you look at a vehicle And you have maybe six or seven people in the vehicle. That vehicle could be the person that you love and that you have lost. But everybody has a different seat within that vehicle. So their view of external surroundings may look different. So someone might be on the right side looking out the right window like you are in a car on a Mm. road trip. You see something completely different landscape-wise as someone in the back left seat. Well, that car, you're all in that together but you all have different views based on your relationship. And so I like to help people navigate who are you in context of that relationship and not compare because you all have lost the same person. But my loss of my husband was different than my mother-in-law's loss of her son. And I have to honor her and respect her in that relationship because we both loved and lost someone who meant the world to us, but the relationship was different. So the healing process may be different.
0: What do you think is one of the biggest hindrances to experiencing healing?
1: That's a great question. I feel like one of the biggest hindrances is probably obstacles that we can create or things that actually are counterfeit and they're not going to produce healing. But yet we sometimes create false senses of healing through coping mechanisms. And there's a lot of coping mechanisms out there that would create band-aids on the surface, but yet would bleed through the root of the real issue. And we get a lot of people that love us with really good intentions, but do not help us navigate what is a coping mechanism versus what really needs to be the heart of healing.
0: What are a couple primary coping mechanisms that you tend to see people use that are not effective with respect to actually bringing ultimate healing?
1: Well, anything that would distract us mentally to avoid the pain. And so when we embrace the pain, then God can bring purpose in that process. And I feel like real healing. And it might take, you know, one-on-one person relationship, or it might take a long journey of addressing the pain and the root of the issue. We get to the heart of the healing. But anything that would distract us from the healing, I would think about specifics being chemically related. There's a lot of over-the-counter prescription medications, or there are a lot of chemicals that we could take, including alcohol and drugs. There are a lot of things when it comes to TV and movies or Netflix or shopping or any kind of addiction that creates a euphoric chemical escape.
0: How does one brace the struggle and the pain effectively so that they can get through that valley more quickly and actually healed on the other side?
1: I think that whenever something surfaces, you have to be willing to embrace it. And do a little bit of digging when it comes to being self-aware. And being curious with those feelings instead of any kind of condemnation with those feelings. So what I like to tell people, whether one-on-one or in group settings, is when something comes up inside of us, hold it loosely. And just be able to dive into that space with curiosity instead of any kind of condemnation. So when I have an emotion surface, because God created me an emotionally charge being. (laughs) If I'm angry or if I'm upset or if I'm short-fused or if I just need to cry my eyes out and I'm weeping and I'm so emotionally driven, or if I'm happy. Some people that are going through trauma and grief, they're convicted and they feel condemnation if they feel joy in a space. And that's wrong. So being able to let things come up out of us Instead of stuffing them down, because the more we stuff, the deeper we stuff, the longer that process of healing takes. We have to let something come up and we have to be able to look at those feelings and those emotions with curiosity. And we've got to be able to process that in a healthy way so that they can navigate out. So the word of God says light dispels darkness. When we keep things hidden, When we keep things covered, when we keep things in darkness, all the different beautiful multifaceted pieces that God put us individually created together for a purpose, His plan and His design, there's no two people that are alike. There's no fingerprints that are alike. There's no DNA strands alike. So God created us so beautifully individual that as those things surface we have the opportunity to submit them to the Holy Spirit so that he can do the work and the healing power in that space instead of just continuing to stuff and stay silent.
0: I love the statement, be curious instead of condemning. Yes. That speaks to our internal dialogue, doesn't it? Absolutely. So the encouragement here is whether it's trauma or anything that you're dealing with in life, if you're feeling a lot of emotion around it, Instead of being condemning and listening to that voice, stop, as you said, Stephanie, and pause and say to yourself, I am going to be curious right now about mm-hmm. what I'm feeling. Why? And then bring that to the Lord. Absolutely. Wow, it's it's so powerful. What a, an amazing way to heal. But it does require that you embrace the pain. Absolutely. Instead of medicating, as it were. How can people find out more about you, Stephanie?
1: Well, I'm not hard to get a hold of. My personal information can be attached um, in any capacity at all, whether it's email or social media. Um, I am an open book and I am honored to connect with people, email or social media. I get reached out to a lot and then I would love to pursue any open doors that that conversation may lead to.
0: I will put the links to your social media in the show notes for this episode. As we finish here, Stephanie, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please.
1: Yes, I'm honored. Thank you. So, Lord, we just come to you right now, and we just say thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about you and glorify you in all the bumps and bruises and obstacles and all the promises and all the beauty, God, that life brings. God, you are the author of life. You are the creator of life. You are the first and the last, God. You are the Alpha and Omega, and I just love you, and I just worship you, God, and I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for the listeners today day that they feel your presence, that they're curious, God, if they need to be about your promises, and that if they need your healing touch in any aspect of their life, I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that they pursue you and you alone for your, their healing, whether it's mental or visual or relational, God, God. In any capacity relating to loss or trauma or life obstacles or family relationships, God, I ask, Lord, that there's just a sense of longing to know you and what you have done, God, not only in my life, but in so many, that you are the same and that your promise is the same and that you're present. And I thank you, Lord, so much for being a part of what you're doing here and now through the body of Christ. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing your story. So powerful.
1: You're welcome. I'm honored. Thank you.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.